Our text this morning comes from the book of Revelation. That shouldn't be a shock in that we're studying Bible prophecy and the current events that we are experiencing. But in Revelation chapter 9, verse 4, it says, And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass or the of the earth, nor any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which had not the seal of God in their foreheads. The events of this past week have only highlighted and emphasized the reality of a need for a nation to go back to its roots and its foundation. We celebrate Memorial Day this weekend in which we are called to remember those who have given their lives in preserving the truths and the freedoms that we have enjoyed. We wonder through events such as this past week and the direction our government is going and attempting to ban God from the public arena and not recognize that the problems with these mass shootings uh, does not lie with guns, it lies with the fact that we no longer teach morality and the value of life in the schools. Our founding fathers warned about that. They said it was essential that young men be able to read so that they could read the Bible because without the moral codes and the guides that are found in the Bible, this nation would not survive. And certainly we are seeing that today. I was pleased to hear at least one of the congressmen make a comment this week that the problem we face is a moral problem. They were not teaching morality in our schools, and certainly few homes teach that. And uh, we have devalued life itself so that what's one or two lives in the light of all of the population of the earth? The abortion situation, the lack of God being introduced into the educational arena and the lack of moral codes has brought us to where we are and no doubt some of those who have departed could they see what's going on here may wonder if their life was laid down in vain. But of course, Christ would emphasize and reassure them that these things do not happen in vain. The passage in Revelation chapter 9 verse 4 is out of a context a bit greater than that and identifies those that are going to be unleashed during the tribulational period. The indication in the text was 
that those that have the seal of God in their foreheads are going to be spared from some of the tremendous agony and pain that is going to be experienced by those that do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. We talk a lot about the mark of the beast and the mark on the forehead or on the hand, and we will be exploring that a little further in the weeks that are ahead if the Lord carries and doesn't just explain it all over a few moments as we ascend into His presence. But we frequently miss the fact that the special emissaries of God during the tribulation are going to have the seal of God on their foreheads. What if Christians had a visible seal of God that identified them as a Christian to everyone that they encountered would know that you were a Christian. I wonder if it might change some of our display of attitude and maybe some of our actions in public. I raised that question in the email that I sent out to remind you that we're still here on Sunday mornings. Though I know you don't need a reminder, it's a chance to get in a little sermonette in case there are any Christianettes out there that need to hear that before they go out and smoke their cigarettes, is what we used to say. In Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, John wrote these things as they were revealed. He said, After these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind would not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel descending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have four thousand of all the tribes of the children of God. We go back to the Old Testament prophetic book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel 9, beginning at verse 4, we have this recorded. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eye spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and the women. But come not near any man upon whom the mark is and began, and began at my sanctuary 
Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Began this judgment at my house, God said. This is future yet to occur event, though there was a near fulfillment of it in a semblance, but the events that we read in Ezekiel harmonize with the events that we read in Revelation, and we see that these things are yet to come. Suppose that each one of us had a visible seal that revealed to everyone that we encountered in our daily activities that we are ministers, that we have a ministry, that we have our own pulpit, and we each have our own congregation, and we all have the message. Supposing that was displayed on our foreheads. Nobody through the years when seeking to guess my occupation has guessed it to be a minister. I went through a spell there while we were in San Jose that I was kind of depressed about it because most people, when they guessed my occupation, guessed bartender. <laughs> and I I finally had had enough of that, and I asked the last lady that said that to me, why a bartender? And she said, well, you have a friendly face. Well, that might say volumes about preachers <laughs> not having a, a friendly face. But... The identification, if we radiated that identification, I hope that there have been occasions where in talking with someone, a stranger, they have recognized that you were a Christian and brought that comment out. They seem to be few, but nevertheless, it's commendable to have that recognition occur. Now, I usually, at a restaurant, they ask if I want coffee. I tell them, no, I don't drink coffee. I'm a Christian. And then they want to know what being a Christian has to do with drinking coffee, and I explain nothing. They're two separate statements, but I didn't tell you I was, if I didn't tell you I was a Christian, you might not pick up on it. The identification of a seal on the forehead would certainly give that away and make us a target for those seeking help, but probably more often make us a target for those that have disregard for the things of God. This person is a Christian stamped across the forehead might change a whole lot in our daily activities and in the things that we do and the things that we say. But look with me at Romans chapter 1 verse 28. It said, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind 
to do those things which are not convenient. I find that interesting because Paul speaking about those that knew God, but glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. And he said they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. The Greek word, excuse me, the Greek word that is translated knowledge is the word epinosis. Epinosis identifies knowledge that is understood, accepted, and cycled into the right frontal lobe, the forehead. Where there it can be applied to the circumstances and the situations that we encounter. Gnosis is the word for knowledge, but epinosis identifies that knowledge in which you have gained understanding and understand how it relates and you're able to relate it then to the circumstances of your life and it's retained in the the right frontal lobe. That certainly can be, if we are living according to that standard, an identification that shouts to others, I'm a Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, or chapter 2, excuse me, verse 15 through 21, we have this written. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these. So based on our epinosis, our knowledge that we have understood and accepted, it's not epinosis unless as you hear the word You understand the word and then you accept that as a standard or guide for yourself. That knowledge we have in our foreheads, not on our foreheads, then enables us to set the standard and live the life that God has designed us to live. Our behavior declares to others what our morals and our principles and our purpose is all about. What if that were physically visible to all that we encounter? Now each of us have our own gifting and we've been looking at that over the past couple of weeks. We have our individual identifying characteristics, our tendencies, our interests and our desires. And we have a 
unique manner in which we affect the proclamation of the Word of God as believers. Christ is to be represented in our actions and in our attitude, and that becomes our participation in our role in the body of Christ. Each one of us, as we looked at our congregations last week, each one of us have personal congregations. We have our own set of individuals that we interact with this week. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I hope as you went through this week and as you encountered people that at least once or twice there came the thought, this is my congregation. These are those to whom I minister. No raise of hands today, but maybe next week. Well, a, a heads up on that. Our congregations are personal. Our pulpits are hospital rooms and kitchen tables and driver's seats and fenders and sidewalks and office desks and sales counters and service counters and gardens and cultivated field. Our pulpit may be a shopping cart or it could be a tractor, could be a backyard fence with the neighbor. We all have our pulpits where we interact with others, many of whom need what we have and don't know that we have it. Our gifting, our characteristics, our tendencies, our interests and desires as we have seen, determine the manner in which we proclaim the message. Some of us present that message as evangelists. Some as pastor-teachers. Some as counselors. Some as musicians. Others use the media and still others in a very informal and very simple way interject God's message into casual circumstances and situations as you go about your daily activity. All of us are to model the lifestyle that reflects the culture of our new citizenship as citizens of the kingdom of God. Through our specific ministries, which vary from individual to individual, there is a unanimity of responsibility that we have to project the biblical culture, the biblical principles, the biblical attitude and actions that we find in Christ. If the members of your congregation don't perceive that you're a believer, that you have a mission, then you're not living out your design that God has set up. We should appear to the unsaved around us as foreigners. Whether it be evangelism, or whether it be teaching, or whether it be service, there's an urgency that is associated with your ministry and with mine. Because there is an impending disaster ahead. The world... This world as we know it is going to be destroyed. The Apostle Peter tells us about that 
in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, where he writes, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will pass away with a fervent noise or a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Do you believe that? Our degree of belief in that sets for us the standard of urgency concerning our loved ones and even the strangers that we encounter that they might bypass that with the rapture of the church as well. Now before that destruction comes, there is going to be a terrible time of tribulation. Matthew in his gospel account writes, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world in this time, no, nor ever shall be. In Revelation chapter 8, there are a number of events that are recorded that illustrate the kind of judgments that are going to be brought upon the earth during the tribulation. A few of them. Hail and fire mingled with blood is cast upon the earth. That results in one-third of all the trees being burned up and all the green grass is burned. And then something like a great mountain is cast into the sea and the third part of the sea becomes blood and a third of living creatures in the sea die and a third of all ships are destroyed. And then a great star falls from heaven like a burning lamp and it falls upon the fresh water, upon the rivers and upon the lakes. And we are told, and the third part of the waters becomes wormwood And many men die of the waters because they are made bitter. And then we have recorded a third part of the sun and the moon and the stars so that the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. And then, if though that weren't horrifying enough, the bottomless pit is opened. And there's a great smoke that comes out of the pit, and the air is darkened by the smoke. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and the shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared to battle, and on their heads were as it were many crowns of gold, and their faces Whereas the faces of men, they had hair as the hair of women. And their teeth were like the teeth of lions. 
and they had breastplates as though it were breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, uh, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. Some have likened this unto the Apache helicopter <clears throat> with the sting in the tail and all the other description there. But these are said to come out of the bottomless pit. Who is in the bottomless pit at the present time? Those fallen angels that cohabited women, women during the days of Noah that sought to infiltrate humanity with angelic life. They are bound there for this hour and they are released. It would take something miraculous for this to be the Apache helicopter because they're given the authority and the ability to bring pain but not death. I don't know how they would regulate the weapons on the Apache helicopter to simply inflict pain instead of death. But these are said to come out of the bottomless pit. Notice they were given the power of scorpions and they were commanded not to hurt the grass or the trees, but to hurt those that do not have the seal of God in their foreheads. They are not to kill them but they are to torment them for five months. Men will seek death. They will desire to die. And death will not come. Notice the phrase, upon those to whom this hurt comes. Those that do not have the seal of God in their forehead. The Bible says that it's just the first woe. That's, there, there are two more woes that are going beyond this with the severity increasing each time. This was just the first woe. In the second woe, four angels that have been bound in the river Euphrates for this special time will be released. And they will slay the third part of men the number of the army of this horseman is 200,000,000. If you're up on your math, that's two million. The Chinese army used to boast itself of being two million. The latest figure I was able to see is now 2,680,000 coming across the river Euphrates. How are they going to come out of that river? Well, the Bible says the river's going to be dried up. Well, <laughs> take an act of God to dry up the river unless you built the Aswan Dam on it as it has been built. And with one switch, they can shut it off and enter from the east to the Holy Land. The second woe, then these four angels that have been bound in the river Euphrates or released. And uh, the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone, 
And by these three, the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone, was the third part of men killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and tails. For their tails are like unto serpents and that had heads and with them they're able to inflict hurt. What happens after that? John was forbidden to write about. That should be enough to motivate us to the urgency of our being the sojourners of Christ. In our earlier study, we saw that there are nine spiritual gifts that are identified as continuing throughout the church age. The gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhortation, the gift of service, the gift of helps, the gift of word of knowledge, the gift of the word of wisdom, the gift of mercy, and the gift of giving. You have at least one, and probably a combination in varying degrees of those gifts. We, with those gifts, recognize that there is a threefold ministry given to the church. The church is to evangelize, is to teach, and it is to serve. All nine of those spiritual gifts fit into these three categories of organization or structure for the church. The spiritual gifts, characteristics, your tendencies, your interests and your desires uh, will dictate where your life can be more effective in one of these areas. We have the ministry of evangelism. The word evangelize is from the Greek word euangelizo. And it's made up of two words, word meaning good and word meaning messenger. It means to tell the good message. The good message is Jesus saves. Now while we have the good message through our own personal testimony because of our salvation, there are those with gifts of exhortation and word of knowledge and teaching and word of wisdom that enable them to be very effective in leading others to personal faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, evangelism can be structured or it can be spontaneous. That is, it can be a planned event or it could be simply a response to situations and circumstances as they developed. Some of those situations and circumstances developed this last week in a small town in Texas. This gift and its ministry can range from a seven-year-old girl bringing her friends to her dad and saying, Daddy, she wants to become a Christian. My daughter must have brought five or six of her friends to me when she was seven years old telling me they wanted to become Christians. 
and most of them receive Christ. And then when I would get her, my daughter alone, I would say, and when are you going to become a Christian? And her answer was scary. She said, there's some things I want to do before I become a Christian. (laughs) Praise God, she got saved before she was a teenager. (laughs) That was difficult enough. I have to say that this week because she'll be here next week (laughs) as a part of that. Evangelizing. Simply sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Areas of evangelistic outreach could include just your personal testimony. Have you shared your personal testimony with others? I challenge you that as you go throughout this week, find the circumstance, you may have to create it, where you can share your personal faith in Christ with someone else. We did a program called Encounter California years ago, and California needed to be encountered. It sure needs it now. But uh, uh, what we attempted to do was get all the folks in our congregations to give their personal testimony in 30 seconds or less and to share that three times during the day. Well, I'm not into legalism, but I challenge you to look look at that and see if God doesn't give you the opportunity to share your personal faith with others. It could be an evangelistic meeting. It could be the distribution of tracts. I had an experience one time while I had a layover in San Francisco at the bus station uh, waiting for a bus. I was going to be there a couple of hours and so I had some tracks on me and I went around and laid several of them out uh, in the station where I could sit back and watch them. Well, it wasn't long before the janitor came along and he picked one up and tossed it into his uh, scoop that he had with his broom and, and uh, went on around. And about the third one he got, he finally stopped and looked at it for a few minutes and then tossed it into the can. And I followed him and went back and replaced the ones that had been cast away. I wasn't really laying for him. I was hoping someone with a receptive mind might come along. I spent a couple of hours that evening watching those and seeing the response. And it was just before I was about to board the bus that that janitor came around for about his third time and picked one up and went over to a bench and sat down and read it. He had thrown the others in the trash, but he read that one, and I went over and uh, said, what you reading? And he said, you know what I'm reading. You're probably the one that put it there. And he called his wife and told her he was coming home lived back east, had a problem with alcohol, and had left. He was doing pretty good with the alcohol, but he found a new source of help that day. And before I got on my bus, he got on a bus and went back to Illinois to his family. 
We don't always, matter of fact, very seldom in the distribution of tracts and handing them out, do you see a visible result. But it's seed and we are called upon to sow the seed. So some people whose gifts identify themselves in the area of evangelism, there's opportunity every day, even if we have to force it, there's opportunity for us to share the message of Jesus Christ. The second area of emphasis and thrust of the church is teaching. It involves nurture and admonition. The fathers are told concerning their children that they are to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And certainly that falls upon those within the church that are given the responsibility for nurture and for admonition. It's provided through the teaching ministry of the church. And so we need to develop and implement a program of teaching opportunities for the congregation wherever we are. Believers that are gifted in the area of teaching, along with gifts of administration and helps, are able to divide and and provide for the nurture and the admonition, the growth of the members of the body of Christ. This ministry in the body of Christ includes such things as our worship services, Bible institutes, conferences, neighborhood Bible studies, Sunday school, a Bible institute. There's no end to the arenas in which this nurture and admonition take place and certainly on a one-to-one basis as well as within our family structures do we have a responsibility. Nurture and admonition so that the born-again believer grows to maturity and invests his life or her life in service as well. The third thrust of the church is ministry and service. It's to include the responsibility of the physical and material care for the needs of the individuals that make up the body of Christ. Those who minister to the physical needs. I grew up in a Southern Baptist environment and Southern Baptists had pastors and deacons. They didn't have men identified as elders that Scripture makes reference to. And generally, the deacon was elected and his job description was to do the work of an elder instead of a deacon. The deacons were those that were set aside to wait on tables, to take care of the widows and the orphans in the congregation so the elders could give themselves over then to study and the proclamation of the Word of God. There's a woman in the Bible mentioned as a deaconess. There's no such office of deaconess in the church. It's simply the Greek word that identifies she was a servant within the congregation and served others. And likewise, we find that God has distributed into the makeup of the church those that have those spiritual gifts that are associated then with many ministry and service. 
They have a service gift, or they have a mercy gift, or they have an exhortation gift, or the gift of helps, or the gift of giving, and they can work within the body of Christ through their gifting to minister to the material and physical needs of others. We have an urgent ministry, and we are gifted to do that ministry. We need to look at the method of our ministry. Because now, as we come to this challenge, I know that some of you have identified what your spiritual gifts are, and you've said, what now? So I've got this spiritual gift, or this combination of spiritual gifts. How best can I utilize that gift? Based on our understanding of what God has revealed in His Word in the way of knowledge concerning uh, uh, the future, along with our understanding uh, as individuals that we are part of the body of Christ, and along with the urgency because of the devastating times that are coming, what are you supposed to do? Well, I would suggest what kind of God it might be that was going to hold you accountable for what you are to do and does not provide you with the understanding of what you are to do. We don't serve a God that would be that unfair to us. Jesus' final words to His followers uh, as He was about to ascend into heaven, He said to them, Go back to Jerusalem and tarry there until you are endued with power from on high, and then you will become witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. We have been made part of the body of Christ, and we've been endued with power from on high, with the Holy Spirit living within us. We've been given the Word of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit those we interact with in the daily course of our activities uh, or those to whom we are to minister. God knew that churches would not teach spiritual gifts as they should. And so He put in an alternate program so that God brings circumstances and situations in your life to direct you and guide you into opportunities for service to Him. Through the Holy Spirit, He manipulates those circumstances and situations in our lives. Nothing happens accidentally or incidentally. Everything that occurs in our life is part of God's direction He either allows it or He creates it Himself so that we might be benefited and we might have opportunity. The Holy Spirit is our affairs secretary and He sets appointments for us in our daily routine of life. Divine appointments. Have you ever wondered, well, that was 
interesting. Why did that happen, that that situation occurred, or that I had that interaction with that individual? What are your spiritual gifts? Can you not see that the Holy Spirit is working in your life day by day as you go throughout your circumstances and setting up those divine appointments? Maybe you haven't recognized that they were appointments. Or maybe you've recognized it and said, well, this isn't the appropriate place or time for that. And we've moved on. Maybe a member of the family, a neighbor that lives nearby, or a fellow employee or a patient or a stranger. Remember Jesus said, as you are being taken, you disciple all nations. Your role as a discipler may be enlisting outreach and evangelism. It may be nurturing and admonishing. Or it may be ministering to the material and the physical needs of individuals. Remember, a successful ministry is not measured in numbers. God does not hold us accountable for results. He does not command us to provide results. He holds us accountable for service, for ministry, for functioning within our spiritual gifting. doesn't hold you accountable for a gift that you do not have. He holds you accountable for the gifts that He has given you. You're responsible to minister. He is responsible for the result. And with His allowing individuals their free will, He brings about circumstances, but does not force answers. You're responsible to minister for Him and to do that. We've been through the spiritual gifts a number of times. I want just to walk through them very quickly again this morning in closing that we might recognize the opportunities. We need to develop a sensitivity to circumstances that reveals opportunity and we need then to seize that opportunity. In order for you to develop that sensitivity, you have to be alert to what your gifting is and you have to be alert to what God is doing to give you opportunity to use that gift. We talked about the gift of administration, the unique ability to assume leadership roles effectively, an ability to function in an administrative capacity to provide leadership and direction for various ministries in the church. The biblical title assigned to those that exercise This within the makeup of the church is the word elder. If your gift is administration, then you could fit well into any of these three areas of evangelism or nurture and admonition or material ministry as God gives direction and your interests and desires are there to place your administrative gifts in those areas. The gift of service, that unique ability 
of those in the body of Christ to care for the material needs. If your gift is service, you belong to that trust of the church and yours is the primary gift for ministry and service to the family and there are opportunities for that to occur as you go throughout the week. The gift of exhortation to spur people on to decision and motivation. If your gift is exhortation, you then might channel that into evangelism or it might be channeled into uh, admonition or it might be channeled into service. It could be on a one-to-one basis. It could be in a structured organization within the church. The gift of helps, we said, is the most prolific gift within the body of Christ. And so if yours is a gift of helps, you have opportunity every day to exercise that gift as you are brought into circumstances and situations. The gift of the word of knowledge is that unique ability to comprehend the word to understand the Word and be able to structure that and impart that to others. Uh, You may not have the ability to communicate it. You have the ability, verbally that is, but you may have the the ability to identify it and write it. I've known writers that could not speak. And I've known speakers that could not write and then falls in the crack those that think we can do both and don't. But the opportunity of ours to share the Word and let the Word bear fruit. The gift of the Word of Wisdom is probably more effective on a one-to-one basis in counseling than it is in the situation that we have this morning. I'm, I'm utilizing the word of wisdom this morning and trying to show you how the word of God relates to your circumstance and situation. We do that on a one-to-one basis with our smaller congregations of our family, our friends, our associates, uh, or even the stranger that we interact with. The word of wisdom is the ability to understand the application, how the word of God fits into your life. The gift of mercy then is that ability to have compassion on others and to be able to provide for them with a sense of comfort. The gift of giving is not to be confused with the normal priestly responsibility of giving that we have as members of the body of Christ, but the unique ability that God has given some to acquire material assets and invest them into the Lord's work, either on a one-to-one basis or through some kind of structured means. So if you're still confused, this week make certain that you are in fellowship with God. won't see the opportunity if we're not in fellowship and that your sins are all prayed up as you go about your activities. But be alert to opportunities where God has set through your secretary, the Holy Spirit, He has set appointments for you to interact with people and see how 
your characteristics and your tendencies, your interests and your desires direct then your spiritual function within the body of Christ. And this time next week, hopefully you will have a better understanding of the appointments that you missed last week as you go through this new week. We are here for one purpose after we are believers, and that is to be sojourners, to live alongside the locals to do our king's business. It may be dramatic. It may seem to be very casual, but we have a work to do, and the urgency is amplified every time we turn on the news or every time we pick up a newspaper. But it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. That's part of the urgency to others. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take time this week to look at those that God brings across your path and have the courage by remembering the urgency. Suppose they do not hear the message. Suppose they go into that period of time of great tribulation when the final call is made. I don't buy into those folks who say, if you don't witness to that person that God's leading you to witness to, and they die, it's on your head. If they go to hell, it's your fault. No, I don't serve that kind of God. My God is fair enough that if you don't do what you're supposed to do for that individual, God will bring somebody else to do that. That's not to buy you off and say, okay, somebody else can do it. We are accountable for our opportunities, but no soul will rotten or burn in hell because we didn't do our job. We may have some of our works burned in hell because we didn't do our job. But God has gifted us. We need to be sensitive to that and alert to it as we go throughout this week.